The Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast is proudly supported by Red Energy, awarded Australia's most trusted energy provider by CanStar twice, and Prince Wine Store, Bank Street, South Melbourne, delivering Australia-wide, princewinestore.com.au. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Hello everybody, welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. It is episode 258 and my name is Cory Perkin and I'm here with my very dear friend Caroline Wilson. Hello Caro. Hi there. Hello everybody. What a lively time March has been Cory and we're about to talk about what's happening in April. Let's talk footy first. Wow, wow, what an opening. Some big games in terms of crowds, some big games with no crowds. <laughs> which surprised me. Where were all the Melbourne supporters? Probably at their beach houses, were they? Or is that an old cliche? Oh, no, that was a pathetic attendance, the Melbourne Bulldogs oh, game. Oh, my goodness. But I went, draw. I went to two games. And look, honestly, the, the the noise at the Richmond Carlton game, which was a bit of a fizzer in terms of game quality, but um, just extraordinary noise and such a great crowd. And then you know, to walk into the MCG and, you know, it's March and there was a beautiful Too day. Too hot. And As I said to you, I was, I was in a footy-free zone for a couple of days. I refused to acknowledge that summer was over and the footy was here. Can I just ask you, Caro, about, I didn't see your uh, footy classified this week because I do go to bed early on a Monday night, but I did listen to your Real Footy podcast, which I must say I love. I love your podcast with Jake Nile and Gleese. And you talked about Hawthorne and you said an asterisk. Hawthorne is an asterisk. What does that mean? Because they've just cut their list so deeply and got rid of so many good players. In the, They want to rebuild. Um, Sam Mitchell inherited a, a pretty poor list and Alistair Clarkson's last few years weren't good for a variety of reasons. What's the asterisk? It means that if you play Hawthorne, you're going to win in most occasions. Oh. <laughs> and and so it, it means that, you know, the, the competition well, is not if, even. If that won't spur them on. But well, not everybody plays each other twice. We're so, in rebuilding so, phase. No, but it's not fair that the teams now who play Hawthorne twice, are going, if, if they're going to continue along this vein, they were pathetic, Corrie. They, and I well, just, they had a very good first quarter. I have to say the first quarter was drilling. Uh, Essendon played very well. They cut and, too deep and yep, it hurt well, the competition. I, well, don't, I don't think it works and I... I Remain to be seen. Now, we had a deep dive into the goings-on at the Essendon Football Club on Footy Classified. They've got some serious, serious administrative issues behind the scenes. Mm. It is, according to people inside and outside, a ticking time bomb. So that's going to be interesting too. Well, uh, it was a great weekend and uh, it has been a wonderful week with the Don't Shoot the Messenger mailbag. It is overflowing. In fact, poor Miss Jane could barely struggle up the stairs. She was carrying such a load today. <laughs> Lorraine via email said, I'm a newcomer to your podcast and I just love it. I'm listening to old podcasts, noticing how our world has changed in a few years. I listened intently to your wonderful interview with Tom Morris. Thank you for this. I was disappointed that some of your listeners thought this should not have occurred. And I couldn't help but think, he who is without sin, throw the first stone, quote unquote, from the Bible there. Thanks, Lorraine. We have all done something for which we are ashamed, says Lorraine. Again, thank you. Which was, I must say, a common comment to me, Cara, among friends who, I, I, there were friends of mine who thought that we perhaps shouldn't have spoken to Tom Morris, but there were others who did say, really, who's without sin? Who hasn't had a crack at somebody in the past? Although to that extent, uh, hopefully nobody that we know. But um, No, we don't just interview saints. We interview people who've made mistakes. And I, I think everyone has a right to at least speak. Now, well, we're, certainly we're, someone whose sin was Tom Morris's. I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, murders. No, well, we, all, we, we've, we have thrashed the Tom Morris uh, we have. episode to death. But thank you, everybody, for, you, for your comments. And a lot um, of feedback for Miss Jane, too, who... Um, had a crack at the sort of suggestion that it shouldn't have been dropped by the age on International Women's Day. She spoke pretty passionately on the sounding board as well. So a bit of cross-pollination, Corrie. A lot of cross-pollination. Between the podcast there. Yeah, Miss Jane should have her own podcast, actually. Instead of producing two, she should have her own, I no, reckon. she's far too busy. <laughs> <laughs> um, Rosie from New Zealand. Oh, we have an international listener. We have a few actually. Hello to all the mob in Ireland. I know there's a crew over there who listen to us as well. Hello, Caroline, Corrie and Miss Jane. I'm writing to tell you how much I enjoyed listening to your podcast, which I only discovered late last year. 
around the time of Sumac Gate. Oh, okay. Well, thanks, Rosie. Let's not mention it. I live in New Zealand after moving here from Melbourne almost 13 years ago, and your podcast has become my regular weekly dose of home. I listen while I walk my dog in the morning, and when I hear you mention wonderful things like the Sorrento Cinema, the National Gallery, Walks Around the Tan, Jane's Fabulous Flowers, and how March is Melbourne's best time of year, I feel myself smiling, and it sets me up for the day. BSF is my favourite segment, and I would love to get the show notes so she can go offline with you, Jane, and organise that. Um, and she said, keep up the great work and know that your show is being appreciated from across the ditch. And Katrina Bolden um, thanks me for the dry recommendation. Have you caught that yet, Corrie? You've probably been a bit busy I, well, on I've, SBS On Demand. <laughs> no, I've been, I completely binged the investigation. Oh, okay, which, which is meant to be brilliant. Oh, gosh, it's so good. Well, Katrina loved the dry, unfortunately had a bout of food poisoning after her daughter's 18th, so recovered, laughed and cried through that. Books and screen is best part of the podcast. I've got a cracker, book and screen today. Can um, I just say, Katrina, mm, you know, the old, uh, sorry, but I had gastro, I couldn't come after the big weekend's party. Is that a real gastro attack or to be... A few too many champagnes at your daughter's I, I was told. I was told the other day about a, a um, someone we an acquaintance of ours, um, not a good friend, had a big um, milestone birthday at a big Melbourne venue, and about one third of the people there became very, very sick. Oh dear, very, That's not very. Good. Sick. We don't like hearing that. Um, I just want to say a big welcome and hello to our show sponsors. Thank you, Red Energy, awarded Australia's most trusted energy provider by CanStar twice. Twice. And, of course, Prince Wine Store. Both of these sponsors have been with us for a fair whack of the long haul, including those couple of years when we were recording remotely uh, so often during Melbourne's lockdown. So thank you very much to our sponsors for being with us. We've had a bit of correspondence regarding footy tipping this year, Caro. Would you like to explain why don't shoot the messenger? I'm actually relieved because I... My tips were always shite and um, I saved myself a weekly embarrassment. But would you like to explain why we're not doing footy tips on the messenger this week, this oh, year? I don't think it, I don't think it's a, it's anything in depth, Corrie. We just don't think we're going to do them this year. We don't think we need to do them as part of the podcast, but we are going to resurrect after a few months the Dear Carol and Corrie segment. Um, when we have a great dilemma, we're going to deep dive into that, which I think is far more worthy. And I look forward to <laughs> solving the problems of the world with you, Corrie. I think I'm better at that than footy tipping. Yes. So potties, if you do have a moral dilemma, a modern dilemma, any kind of dilemma, it might be relating to friendship groups, it might be relating to anything to do with um, behavioural matters or etiquette, just ask Caro and I and um, via feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au and we will um, give you our 10 cents worth. And Corey, we do have one big announcement though. We've got several, you've got a big announcement, but by way of leading into your big announcement, we have a live event coming up. And Yay. it is one that you can buy tickets to. It is going to be held on Wednesday, April the 26th. Is that correct, Miss Jane? It's going to be held on Wednesday, April the 26th, and it's being held in Sorrento. A place close to my heart. At the RSL. At the Sorrento RSL Club, a place close to my heart. Gosh, I hope they've cleaned up after their big breakfast on Anzac Day morning. They usually have about 300 or 400 people there. And you, I'm no doubt you'll be there, Corrie. No, we'll be there. We'll be there with Miss Jane, Anna from the Op Shop, some wonderful guests. Might even drag in a couple of writers. Who knows, Corrie? Because the reason for our live podcast, and you go to... Um, ballparkentertainment.com.au and all the details of how to get tickets will be on our show notes. It's an evening event and it will involve a drink and some finger food and Caro and Corrie and several guests. We're going to be doing, a, it's a regular podcast, but we're going to be talking, Corrie, about a festival that begins the next day. Mm, well, it's the kickoff to the Sorrento Writers Festival, Caro, which... Um on the weekend, I said to one of my kids, I feel like I am the 20-year-old age footy journo doing her first year of footy and writing player bios for the 12 teams then in the VFL then competition. I have written 144 player profiles over the weekend, 60 to 70 words each on every single speaker who is coming to the festival, which starts on the 27th of April and runs to the 30th of April at Sorrento. So we're talking Boy, oh Thursday, boy, do I know them intimately. 
<laughs> I'm impressed. Um, Corrie was just going to start slowly and quietly with her first Writers' Festival, Jane. Clearly, she's missed the brief. She's missed that memo. This is going to be absolutely huge, Corrie. You can still... I mean, you get on... Now, first... Well, let's just do a bit of technical stuff first. First about our live event, Miss Jane. It's being held in the evening on Wednesday. Five, five the, until 7pm. Cocktail hour, Carol. And how much are the tickets, Miss Jane? $45. And like you said, drink and uh, finger food and a chance to come and hang out with us in a beautiful location. Sorrento. Mm. I mean, comfort to drive. And a couple of writers will be there because they're getting ready for their first appearance on Thursday morning. So we might have writers behind the bar, Carol. Well, I'm, I've got an event on Thursday morning. I know. You better, I'm interviewing, you better not drink too much. I'm interviewing one of our one of our favourite authors, Sarah Winman, who's going to be speaking oh. to me from the UK. But most of the writers, of course, are going to be here live and kicking. You can still buy an early bird ticket to the festival um, at the cost of under $300. That ticket basically gets you to all the writer events, panel events, speaking events, and that's over four days. So I think each event costs $25. Correct. So if you're planning to really immerse yourself in the Writers' Festival, this is the way to go. Those tickets are available until the end of March? Yes, and until we run out because we had a bit of a flurry over the weekend. So we don't have very many left. So jump on board, everybody. But it also allows you to nominate some of our key events, which we think are going to book out pretty quickly. For example, Jane Harper in conversation with the playwright Hanny Rayson and Tom Keneally in conversation with Barry Cassidy. And the other one, which uh, looking at the people have selected, they've, they've gone and bought their early bird ticket and they've selected the voice to parliament discussion with Marcia Langton, Patricia Carvelis from Radio National, Kerry O'Brien, Thomas Mayo. Uh, so it's going to be, that that is also going to be good. So the, the other benefit of becoming an early birder is, apart from the fact it's a lovely donation to the festival and gets us up and running, it also allows you to go to a number of events uh, and you don't have to think about ticketing. It's all done. And you can nominate these events that we think the minute we stop the early bird ticket and we release the $25 ticket, they're going to go off. So you might miss out on Jane Harper or Craig Sylvie also who wrote J- Jasper Jones. So, Corrie, why do you go to a writer's festival? Uh if you go to a writer, look, I keep to, to people who have never been to a writers' festival, Carol, I describe it as a Woodstock for bookworms. It's like going to a music festival or Woodstock for bookworms. Meredith, one of those three or four day festivals our children go to or we went to when we were young, where you just, you know, you pay an entry fee and you basically spend the whole weekend immersing yourself in whatever that cultural activity is. In this case, it's books, but it's also an extension of that. I've had people say to me, oh, I don't read much. And I've said, believe me, there'll be something for you because it's also about discussions and ideas. So if you think of literacy and writing and reading books, the extension of that is we learn that, you know, we are educated. We take ourselves into a space that we might not normally know a lot about. We might go into a space like, for example, the footy panel you're doing with Eddie and Mike Sheehan on the Friday evening. A lot and of Peter Rose. And Peter Rose, yeah, And yep. poet, and writer. Yeah. Um, exactly. But you, people might think, oh, I know enough about footy. I'm watching it during the week. I don't need to go. But what when they come to your event um, with Eddie and Mike and Peter, you, you're going to also be talking about the um, impact of the game on our culture, on our literature, the fine sports writing that we've seen over the years, the great, the great um, exponents of that craft, the old footy report. So, um, so I think for, for people, who, Neil Baum and Anson Cameron are coming down because, of course, Anson did that wonderful uh, biography of Neil Baum, and you've talked about it on the podcast before. Um, they're a last-minute inclusion off the interchange bench. They weren't because we weren't sure of Barmy's football commitments, but they're coming on the Saturday. But there's also on Thursday we thought we would have, um, not necessarily calling it an art day, but we have four or five events from the morning through to mid-afternoon which are all related to art. So one of the panels is looking at uh, Australian artists' um, involvement in the Venice Biennale over 50 years. Another beautiful session, I think it's going to be beautiful, is looking at the artists in in Victoria who over the years have been inspired by the Bay and Bass Strait, going right back to Indigenous times, right through to, through the Heidelberg School. Um, of course, we know they were very influenced by the Bay. You mentioned Henny Raisin, who wrote the wonderful play that became a great film, Hotel Sorrento. What and, and you've mentioned one. Um, she's doing at least one interview. You've mentioned. 
What is Hanny going to be doing anything relating to her roots or love of Sorrento? Or? Uh, no, except that she and Michael Cathcart, her husband, the ABC radio announcer, uh, they are what I call, we have about five or six of them, I'm calling them our festival delegates. They are buddies of mine who I've been t- chatting with for over a year now. Jock Sarong's another one. Paul Daly is another one. Um, Don Watson is another, I call, you know, godfather of, of this um, this festival. But they've been sounding boards for me. And Hanny and Michael, originally we talked about doing a project called Hello Sorrento for this year. We couldn't get the funding for that in time. So we're hoping that we'll be able to do that next year and put on a play, basically a night that's dedicated to Sorrento. But in their discussions, they said, oh, gosh, we'd love to come. And, of course, both of them, Caro, because they're just, you know, so talented in so many areas and they're inquisitive about the world, they're both wonderful interviewers. So Hanny said, can I take a few panels? Well, yes, of course. She, I said, what one would you most like to do, thinking she might do something on, um, on you know, stage development in, in, in Australia in the 21st century or something like that? And she said, can I interview Jane Harper? I went, oh, please, yes. If you love a murder mystery, of course you can. So I think that's a great setup. There's a few unexpected, what I call setups like that. And um, another one, of course, I mentioned Barry Cassidy, great friends of the pod, um, Barry Cassidy and Heather Ewart. We love them to bits. Heather's going to do a couple of sessions. One, in fact, um, which um, messengers will be smiling as I say this, because of course I want front row seat, USA 2020, uh, USA politics and toward the 2024 election. And uh, Heather Ewart's going to be the moderator with Cameron Stewart, who until recently was the Australian's Washington correspondent. And um, Emma Shortus, who is a, a, uh, an academic at RMIT, whose special subject is American politics. So I think the zeitgeist of America, you know. So I love the fact that we've got Heather from Backroads, but we forget that for many years, Caro, she was a Washington correspondent for the ABC. So I kind of love all that, you know, throwing that unexpected stuff together. So you've been a journalist for many years, an editor. You've worked in media. You've um, obviously run a bookshop and helped them. <laughs> Jack of all trades, as you, my no, mother would well, say, you, master of none. You've run no. That's not that's, no, that's, that's what a ridiculous say. thing to say. <laughs> you've done so many. You've run so many situations relating to books, and your bookshop became a bit of a salon for interviews, and not only selling books. What has this taught you? I mean, what is, it's obviously taken you out of your comfort zone, and you've had to delve into areas you've never delved into before. You have run events but not an event of this magnitude. What has been the most difficult, um, I suppose, most difficult aspect of getting it off the ground? Um, Saying no. It's like, why did I have so many books probably overstocked in my bookshop? I just, oh, that's great. Yep, I'll take 10 of those. So we started off with, as you know, aiming for about 45 authors, maybe 50 and maybe 20 events um, and over two days. And the more publishers I spoke with, the the more authors with whom I had discussions and journalists, of course, because journalism and good journalism and the future of journalism is a big part of this festival. But um, I just got, it was just so hard to say no. A friend of mine, Fiona Gruber, who is a, a journalist and an interviewer in the arts sector, she said to me, you know, we should do a panel called um, Romantic Novels in the hashtag Me Too Era. And I said, mm, I love that. Like, go go on, tell me more. And she said, well, you know, traditionally, going back to Jane Austen, it's um, no, 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 yes. So how does that stack up in 21st century? As it turns out, then talking to a few publishers, uh, there are a couple of Australian writers who, ha- who are releasing or have just released romantic fiction. And so we have a panel put together, which will be fantastic. And, and you add into the mix Jane Caro, another friend of this podcast, Love Jane. She's on about 20 panels. I hope they mentioned Jeffrey Eugene is the marriage portrait because that is a perfect example. Now, Corrie, just logistics. People are listening to this and they might not be um, the technical whizzes that we are. What do they do to buy tickets? Okay, so what happens is that at the moment on sorrentowritersfestival.com.au, you will click on and you will see early bird ticket and you're welcome to buy that. I think it's great value for money if you're considering coming to the festival for three or four days because, as Cara said earlier, you can get to any of the daytime things. The nighttime concerts and so on, which you can read about, that's all extra. But you can certainly go from spot to spot. You've got to, you know, 
piece of coloured whatever around your wrist and you'll be able to get in and that makes life easy. If you want to come down to Sorrento for the day or if you're down there for the weekend, uh, as of probably this coming weekend when the early bird tickets will run out, we will then make every event available for $25. And uh, you can go from event to event and there's lots of light and shade in this. So you might one day go to, um, you know, USA toward 2024, and then you might go to an event which is on book clubs, love them, hate them, and why we frequently wag them, which includes on its panel, Jason Steger who used, of The Age, who used to be on um, the ABC's book show. Um, you might go to, the next one you might go to is going to listen to Caro in conversation with uh, Fred Skepsy and filmmaker Ian Darling. On it with a session called Telling Australian Stories on Screen. And then you might go and have a drink at five o'clock with, um, with one of the footy panels and have a, have a listen to that and have a bit of fun. So I think, um, I think once the program is up in its entirety, which it will be in the next day or two, you'll be able to then look and think and plan. There are still lots of places to stay in Sorrento. A number of Melbourne book clubs and, and some friends, in fact, have actually, as a group, taken an Airbnb. There are heaps of properties down there, Sorrento, Blegari, Portsea. If you've got a car, don't, be, don't think that Ryle or Blegari are too far away. It's only five minutes down the road. And, of course, the Sorrento Main Street has a plethora of cafes, restaurants, the, um, the, our, our festival hub, our friends at the Continental and the Intercontinental Hotel, who are giving us these spaces as the festival hub for three of the four days and their remarkable generosity. You can have meals and drinks there. You can go and visit our friends at the Sorrento Hotel. There's lots of places to um, graze, feed and water. And in the midst of all this are 144 writers and speakers and journalists and academics and thinkers all just walking around Sorrento chatting to you. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm nominating, um, I want to hear Marcia Langdon and PK and that and that panel talk about the Indigenous voice to Parliament. So I can completely get across that, that issue. What about you, Miss Jane? Jocks are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Two words, jocks are wrong. Another, another friend of the pod. Well, you know, Jock is not only on a couple of panels, Miss Jane, but he is also a, a, a host, a moderator, because he has exceptional skills, being a former lawyer as well. Um, and um, with me on the on the Wheeler Centre board, he's across so much of this space, and he's so terrific on his feet. And I think having Jock host a couple of those sessions too will be great. Caro, just quickly, and Miss Jane, we've got a wonderful session or a couple sessions actually. Um, the Portsea Life Saving Club, which I think has the best view in Australia, the Portsea Life Saving Club came to us when they heard we had a problem with these, this Saturday venue. There's a wedding at the Continental Hotel, long story. So they said, look, we would love to make our club rooms available. As we know, Cara, the main club room where we can fit about 80 or 100 people is a fantastic room. It's got the bar, the coffee, um, and it has the incredible view of Bass Strait. One of the sessions there, Jock will be involved in, and it's just called, I can't remember the exact title, it's called Surf, Ocean and Sea or something like that. And it's talking about the influence, with, with fiction writers, the influence of um, of the sea on, on their writing, which I think will be a really beautiful um, session. And Corrie, for someone like me who has always had imposter syndrome when I go to sort of what I call highbrow arts events. Can you this assure- is not one of those. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there are some people who maybe just feel like, oh, I is that my world? Am I going to feel completely out of place? And I mean, I used to go to young sort of writers stuff when I was very much a teen, early 20s in the Adelaide Fringe and Adelaide Festival kind of, but I haven't been to something like this for decades. Is it something that someone who has not read all the books, doesn't know all the authors can come along to and feel comfortable in? You know, Jane, that's a really good question. And I get asked that a lot. And in fact, some people down at Sorrento, some locals were at the beginning a bit hesitant, like, what's all this about? Is it just, is it just, you know, literary, um, literary (laughs) upper middle class people talking to themselves about the same topics? Well, all I can say is that people who remember my bookshop and our events will know that everybody was welcome and it was always a broad church of thinking, small L liberal minded people, you know, with with interest in ideas um, who want to be in a safe place where they can listen with respect, but also be heard with Mm. respect and, um, and everybody feels safe putting forward their opinions. And you just don't have to be a reader to enjoy this. I mean, 
to go along and listen, for example, to somebody like um, Mish Isa and Kathy Lane, who are the two girls from the Hip podcast, and they're going to be taking their podcast is very much geared to when women turn fifty, what happens, and they're going to be talking about some of the issues, you know, funny and serious that that with with Sam Lane, with uh, Jane Caro, it'll be a terrific panel. But you don't have to be a reader. There's no kind of book to sell after that. Mm. The girls have a podcast and they're rip-roaringly hilarious. And I think just to sit there and just think about, well, what is it to be a woman? Um, what are the issues that young women are facing or women in their 50s are facing? And have a bit of a laugh. And and you don't have to love books if you love film. I mean, Caro and Jane, one of the most wonderful events, I can't believe we're doing it, is the chant of Jimmy Blacksmith 50 years on. Mm. So Tom Keneally is going to be at the festival. He wrote The Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith. It was published 50 years ago. Fred Skepsy, who made the film a few years later, is going to be there as well. The two of them are going to have a discussion about it. Harper Collins are actually bringing back the book because of this festival. So Chris Redfern of Avenue Bookstore, which is our partnering bookshop, um, um, they're doing a pop-up at the festival. Chris rang Harper Collins and said, we're trying to get, we've got this session we want to get, do you realise it's 50 years? Why has this thing gone out of print? Caro, they're bringing it back. That's amazing. We're a game changer. So listen, I just, thanks for, the, for letting me talk about it, everybody. Um, just again, and I know, Corrie, when can we log on to the SorrentoWritersFestival.com and actually .com.au. .com.au, sorry, and read the program? You can, you can click on now and you'll see program highlights. We've put down about four or five, as I said, the ones we think are going to be selling fast. So if you buy your early bird ticket. You just go click, click, click. I'm interested in this and that. We then look at the ticket numbers and then the minute we get to capacity, we cut that off. So that's another reason to be uh, to be an early birder. But in the next couple of days, the entire program will be up and then you can probably wait. If you don't want to get an early bird ticket, you can wait until the $25 tickets come up, which it will be as soon as the early birds sell out, which I think will probably be at the end of the week. Which is around, we're talking about um, the last week of March. Yeah, that's right. March. And we're also, just if you want to keep in touch with us, when you go onto the website, it will ask you, would you like to be a subscriber? That involves absolutely nothing except your email address because we're doing a weekly newsletter. And of course, we are on Instagram uh, at surrenderwritersfestival.com.au. So, Miss Jane, just again, um, launching the festival will be a Don't Shoot the Messenger special live podcast at the Sorrento RSL Club off George Street or off the supermarket car park just below the main street of Sorrento. How do people come to that? Um, just jump on. I've actually just posted on our Facebook page, so you can get there via that. You can just Google it as well. Uh, ballparkentertainment.com.au is the official host website for the booking. Or just send me an email, feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Just let me know if you're having any issues finding it. We'll post it on the socials. And can I just say that the people coming, whether they're potties or uh, first time to a festival, you're going to just have some wonderful conversations with mates. Walking into a room, you might not know somebody. I tell you what, by the time you sit down and have a chat with somebody over a glass of wine, you get to know them pretty well. And Carol, I don't want you staying up too late on that Wednesday night because you have Sarah Winman from England at 8.30am the next morning. So you'll need your beauty sleep. I've got a very full schedule and a very full house. <laughs> Um, and on that note, Corrie. Yes, let's have a drink at the cocktail cabinet. Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store is with us for another week. And you're um, not with us in person, but you're with us over the phone, Miles. How are you going? Hello, good morning. The big news this week, Miles, is that Corrie has a birthday. And to celebrate, well, there's many ways we can celebrate Corrie's birthday, but one of them is you are putting together a birthday dozen. So some classic stuff, and I thought uh, a few riffs on... I went back through uh, purchase history, which we dangerously have access to. Um, <laughs> and, uh, a lot of Pinot I there. picked a few of the things she loves and maybe a couple of things that are similar to what she, what she likes. And, uh, yeah, I thought, you know, maybe uh, some things that she might not have tried before and... I'm not sure. Anyway, we'll see. Well, Caro and Jane, uh, what is happening here? Miles and I have been talking about this dozen a little bit and how I can come and pick it up and when does Prince Wine Store open? And in fact, my husband Pete has offered to go and pick it up. That's my birthday present. So, hey, I'm pretty happy with that. What's in the dozen? 
Right. Well, I pick, I'll just pick a couple of things out of there that I thought might be interesting. Now, actually, I think the first one you might have mentioned before, and it's the uh, Gros Gemistersat white blend. Yes. Um, now, I know you like those kind of white blends, and I do too. And uh, you sort of mentioned it, but we only sort of touched on it briefly, and I thought I'd touch on it again. And this is this really fantastic traditional blend. It's a field blend. So all the grapes that are you know, a lot of these old vineyards in Europe have just a whole bunch of different grapes in it. And this is from Austria. It's 17 different varietals, all blended together, all co-fermented to make this really lovely, aromatic, fleshy, soft, but kind of zingy white, lovely sort of spicy minerality to it. And lots of that lovely sort of, you know, what I call those kind of like orchid tree fruits. No oak, just really sort of pure and delicious. Really fantastic. Uh, $33. It's a, it's a cracking wine. Not too sweet? No, no. A lot of the Austrian stuff is on the dry style. So um, you see some, but, but really, you know, particularly when you compare it to Germany, but even a lot of German wines are dry these days. But no, the Austrian stuff, you can pretty much guarantee they might have a richness about them, a sort of fruity richness, but usually they're pretty dry. Sounds great. And what else is in my box of goodies? So the other one, now I think we've sort of touched on these wines too before. So I thought a bit of a riff. I know you like Chardonnay. I know you like Chablis. I know you're going to Sicily. So I picked the Tenuta Aglia Lucifer White Blend. Oh, um, bring it yeah, on. So, what, bring yeah, on Bring so on Sicily is, or bring on the wine? <laughs> both. Bring on both, I say. <laughs> well, you, you get there, you can have them all. So this is a blend of three of the sort of main varietals that you see there, uh, which is Catarado. Gracciano and Caracante and it's off one of her single vineyards that she does there so she can't call it at Etna Bianca she has to call it something else because of the crazy rules in Italy but you know we talk about these wines and this definitely has it we sort of talk about that being the Chablis of the south lovely sort of fine bead of crunchy sort of saline minerality in them still lovely fleshy fruit but very sort of clean very pure very sort of unadulterated and yeah really sort of Chablis-esque in that that sort of minerality and that sort of sea spray thing they've got going on against that kind of tree fruit. Oh really Miles cool, this sounds cool fantastic. Wine. I think you'll like that. And, and also um, not just because it's my birthday but um, they sound like a good one for the old Good Friday fish lunch. Oh absolutely. The nice thing about those wines is they're sort of so approachable and easy drinking but they're also a great introduction so maybe some wines that yourself but other people might not have tried before. You know, they have a lot of they have a lot of what I sort of call they have a lot of that mass appeal. You know, they're very clean and sort of easy to understand, but they sort of, you know, represent their countries and you know, maybe a little spin on something that people might not have tried. So you know, are really worth trying for sure. So as we let you go, Miles, give us an idea of cost. Uh, so that one is um, thirty seven, I think, on the floor. Um, and yeah, thirty three for the commissioner start. Great. Sounds terrific, Miles. Thank you very much for my box of goodies. And my husband will be down there to pick them up in the next day or so. Uh, and, of course, any potties who are interested in Corrie's Birthday Dozen, how do they order? Well, if you just go to the website, www.princewinestore.com.au, go find all the bits you want. And then uh, in the cart, you can put in your code M-E-S-S for Don't Shoot the Messenger and you get 10% off all the wine. Fantastic. Thank you, Miles. Uh, and we'll talk to you next week. We'll see you then. And that was Miles Thompson from Prince Wine Store. Don't forget to check out all of their wonderful wines on princewinestore.com.au. Caro, over to BSF, Books, Screen and Food, which, as it is every week, is brought to us by Red Energy. Um, you have a book. You're going to kick us off. Yeah, I've finally finished Demon Copperhead. By Barbara Kingsolver. Oh, I'm dying to hear now, about this. Now, Barbara Kingsolver has written a lot of books. Um, I think we did her Poisonwood Poison, Bible. Poisonwood Bible at, at book club, didn't we? At book we? club. But I have I've, full confession, I've never read any of her books. This is, as most people will know by the title, Demon Copperhead, a, t a modern take on Charles Dickens, a retelling of David Copperfield. It is... It, it is really difficult reading at times. I mean, it's a it's a tough story. It was a tough story in 1800s UK. It's even tougher set as it is in Appalachia, which is Barbara's home area. In uh, we're, we're talking sort of Virginia. Demon is the worst product 
one of the worst products of trailer America. He's born in a trailer to an opioid-addicted young single mother. So it's a contemporary story? It's very contemporary. It's basically, there's a lot of political issues, as, as like Dickens, you know, which a lot of, and this was his, this was seen, I suppose, David Copperfield as his, the one that was seen probably one of his lightest novels, but for most people, one of their absolute favourites, made into films many, many, many times. But um, this story, as I said, is is set in the, in the Appalachian part of America. And clearly Barbara is making some big statements here about big farm, big pharmacies and what they have done with, you know, drugs like fentanyl and Oxycontin and the addiction that has come about through just irresponsible behaviour. But it's also a great social commentary. And you remember, if you've read, you would have read David Copperfield and it was all about, will I end up being the hero of my own life? I've never read David Copperfield. David Copperfield, but I have seen that is, it was a 1940s movie, I think, from memory. I yep. can't remember who was the star of it. And also then there was a BBC, like there a five-parter. Like many BBCs yeah. and a more, modern, um, a more modern David Copperfield made far more recently. But look, this is, this is just a beautiful book. It's a wonderful book. Um, my friend Trish, a great friend of the podcast, lent it to me a few weeks ago. I was reading other stuff at the time. All the old characters are there, Steerforth, the Piggots, um, Agnes, who become, well, she plays a major role in Demon's life, but um, in this book she's a tomboy called Angus, who calls herself Angus. Steerforth is a flawed college football star. Demon himself has a brief happy time as a college football star. He's sent into foster care eventually when the demon opioid gets a grip on his mother again, thanks to his wicked stepfather. Um, this is just an extraordinary book. And it's there is one, I won't give away the spoiler alert ending, but there's one clear deviation from the Dickens original. But it is, it is um, look, it's an absolute, it's, it's a big book. It's an absolute classic of a book. It's it's long. So when it's, you say difficult reading, do you mean in terms of the subject matter? Oh, it's just it takes just you through the absolutely yeah, tragic. I mean, ringer. the opening scene, the opening scene in in this trailer where his mother's single mother, who's very young, and um, thank heavens for people around them because um, there would be no other reason than young Demon, whose name in real life is Damon, but he gets the nickname Demon because he has behavioural issues and his his surname becomes, the book's called Copperhead because of his thatch of red hair, which he inherits and good looks he inherits from his father who's long gone. His real name is Damon Fields, in fact. It, it's a cracker read and it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a bit of a gone with the wind. It's a real saga. But it's, it's, and it's a great idea to turn it into a, a big statement about, you know, these sub-communities of the U.S., and the opioid crisis that has really taken over the world, but particularly America. And um, it's just a great story of a really dysfunctional, well, a series of dysfunctional families. Fantastic. So that is uh, Barbara Kingsolver's latest one, Demon Copperhead. And you have been to the movies. You're on a roll. Keep going. Well, look, I am on a roll. And I saw a film over the weekend that has just stayed with me. And it resonates. Um, one thing about Demon Copperhead, it's, Barbara Kingsolver's home sort of, she, she goes back into her home country and her home area, I guess, to um, write this book. The film I saw is called Empire of Light. It screened very, very briefly at the Melbourne British Film Festival last year. It was only on once and we all missed it. It is a beautiful film. It's directed by Sam Mendes, famous for um, Skyfall and, of course, American Beauty, his first film that became a massive, massive hit and Oscar winner. Former, and, former husband of Kate Winslet. That's it. There's children with Kate Winslet. This is autobiographical too, and it is an ode to cinema. And um, I've spoken before with you about our great sadness that the Sorrento Cinema, one of our local cinemas, is going to be no longer with us very soon. And this film really resonated with me, Corrie, because of that. It stars. It, it is. Oh, it stars Olivia Coleman, and she is brilliant. Say no more. It also stars Colin Firth, who say no a, more in a really evil role. Jane, but, you might have the hots for jocks wrong, but um, 
I'm not, I mean, Jock's lovely, but you know, Colin first can come and have dinner with me anytime. Yep, no, go on. no, you'll have a you'll have a new idol after this one, and his name is Michael Ward, a younger. He plays a much younger character, although he's, I think, in his late 30s or 40s in real life. Michael Ward, who anyone who's watched the Top Boy series on television will know. He is a he is a Jamaican-British actor who is in part friend, in part love interest and a pivotal part of this film. It's set in the early 80s, Corrie, in the, in the city, the faded glory British-English town of Margate. The cinema is known as the Empire Cinema, a beautiful cinema overlooking the sea baths of Margate um, with a closed-off rooftop area with these beautiful booths and ballroom that's no longer running. Olivia Coleman is the duty manager. The staff at this cinema are the major, major parts of this film. Toby Jones, who you would have seen in men, including Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy, plays the projectionist. It's a story of race. It's a story of forbidden love. It's a, a, story, a savage story of mental illness. And Anna from the Op Shop, one of the, I saw the film with our friends Anna and Mary. Anna has read an interview with Sam Mendes where he talks about it being autobiographical and a lot about his mother. The mental illness aspect becomes apparent as the film unfolds. It's incredibly moving and incredibly sad. It is brilliantly acted. And one of the premises of the film is they've been given the green light to host the regional launch or premiere of Chariots of Fire, which is about to open. So the music of the, it is all early 80s music. It's early 80s films, which are just wonderful. Great. And it's also um, early 80s, you know, the Brixton riots, the rise of Thatcherism, the rise of right wing. And, you know, it really resonated with me because I saw it on Sunday, the day after that dreadful riot in in the city of Melbourne. Um, where the Nazis Gosh, we salute. Even, we haven't even talked about no. that, Caro. That, we have to talk about that at some stage. Well, that uh, was terrifying, but I just urge you all to go and see Empire of Light. So it's a, fr- a beautiful a film. A friend of mine went to see it and said, oh, Tad Long could have been oh, no. cut a bit. No? Okay. Don't, don't get don't that Don't believe at all. that. Okay. Groovy. That is great. That is Empire of Light. Now, I have a recipe. Cookbook. You're holding a lovely cookbook there, yes. Corrie. Yes. This is The Joy of Better Cooking by Alice Zavslaski. And I had the honour and privilege of interviewing Alice at a beautiful lunch at the Flinders Hotel a couple of years ago. Oh, this is our veg- my vegetable this lady. This is your vegetable lady in praise of veg. And Alice and I had a chat at as part of the Flinders Fringe Festival, another amazing Mornington Peninsula festival, along with the Drift Festival, the Surrender Writers Festival. It's all happening down there. Anyway, The Joy of Better Cooking is Alice's new book. I've cooked a few things out of this over the summer, but I wanted to highlight because Caro Tomatoes are so fabulous at the moment. They're just having this this late summer of joy and uh, at our coastal, one of our coastal book clubs a couple of weeks ago, Kirsty, who has them in her veggie patch, brought in a whole lot of cherry tomatoes for everybody in the book club. I took a heap home and a couple of days later cooked up this recipe, which is called Not Quite Niçoise. Now, you are a big um, Niçoise kind of girl. I'm a big Niçoise fan. If it beats the Bill Granger recipe, I'll be very impressed. I had wanted to buy some um, some fresh tuna and the fish shop was closed. So there's nothing quite like the old um, couple of cans of Serena tuna to get you going. I will um, give this recipe to Miss Jane to put on the show notes. And these quantities serve four to six people. So I won't go into all of it, but it has um, new potatoes or Kifler potatoes, um, green beans, of course, uh, the cherry trust tomatoes. As I said, thank you, Kirsty, for those. A handful of your favourite olives. I actually put in black ones and also the crushed green, which I just adore. Five or Yum. six, five or six radishes, which I think um, really adds something to this recipe. Um, you don't normally put a radish in a niçoise salad, but I thought Alice just nailed the flavours here. One small red onion or or a shallot, uh, thinly sliced, parsley, um, the tin tuna. Now, Alice says uh, spring water tuna. I just can't go past Serena, so that's what we live on in our house. Six anchovies and caper berries and lemon lemon wedges. But here is the thing for this recipe because I think this particular part of the recipe, and we have had it because I made double the quantity the following night. We had it with chicken. It's called sauce gribiche by Alice, and it is. Now, take note, everyone, because if you've got a piece of lamb, or 
you want even a dip you could do, which would be wild, I think, with some crusty bread and certainly really made this salad zing. Here's the recipe. Two tablespoons of mayonnaise, two tablespoons of extra virgin olive oil, one tablespoon of Dijon mustard, one tablespoon of red white vinegar, sorry, red wine vinegar, one tablespoon of Lilliput capers in salt, but rinse them and drain them, 16 cornichons, Oh, gosh, you know, 16 in the recipe and 16 down your mouth. I just adore a cornichon. <laughs> yep. One cup of finely chopped parsley and one tablespoon of finely chopped tarragon or Thai basil. And Alice says in the recipe in brackets, weird, but it works. This sauce is amazing. It is amazing. That's, I'm just going to leave it there. Make a batch and see what you reckon, everybody. But on the side with this uh, with this particular recipe, um, it's it's a cracker or sp- or just drizzled on the top. So that is Alice Zavslaski's Not Quite Nissoise from her new book, The Joy of Better Cooking, and we will have it on the show notes. So this has just come out, has it? Is this her yeah, new this one? Yeah, this came out just before Christmas. Yep, this is her new one. Interestingly, Caro, when we did the event at the Flinders Fringe, both her books were for sale. They sold out within half an hour in praise of veg. The goodwill toward that book and the buzz about her first cookbook is amazing. But um, I, I think this one is um, is just as is just as interesting and just as terrific. So, um, and and Alice is coming to the uh, Sorrento Writers Festival too. Well, the, who even isn't though, coming to the even Sorrento though she Writers has great vegetarian? I know. Well, exactly. That's that's a question. Even though she has some great vegetable recipes, there is meat in these recipes as well, and fish, and they're brilliant. And the way she, the, the that Brussels sprouts recipe, I think I did on the show last year from her first cookbook, as winter comes, do yourself a favour. She did thank us actually at the podcast for the number of mentions that her book has received over the years. <laughs> so that was nice too. Oh, that's nice to know. Now, Corrie, that was BSF and we thank Red Energy for the segment, as always, most trusted energy provider powered by Snowy Hydro. And remember, you can call Red Energy on 131806. You're grumpy. I am, Caro. It's credit card related this week. So I was driving up to Melbourne last Thursday night to have dinner at my brother's house with the gang. And, um, Did the drive go all right? Just to get... <laughs> Car's fine. Touch wood. Thanks. No parking issues. And um, I had done some internet banking before I left home. Um, I just managed to make sure there was some petrol in the account and that there was some money for petrol and that sort of thing. So I had actually been on the internet banking. By the time I arrived in Parkdale an hour later, some scammer phony company in the US had charged three lots of $398 transactions onto my credit card. So I arrive, so I get out of the car and I don't know why I went into my internet banking yet. Maybe it was actually up on my screen. Can't remember. History doesn't relate. But I look down and I see, my God, my Visa card has just been hit 398, 398, 398. Oh, that's awful. So I, so I walked in. That happened in, to me once. What's and happened it was in to the me? 300s as well, yeah, I think. Yeah, I think they think that, that that must be like the magic figure. They think, oh, people won't notice. So I've walked into dinner with, you know, the bottle of wine, the hostess gift, some little thing I'd made. And I was so discombobulated by this. And my dear friend, Pammy, just said, get on the phone now, get onto it, get onto it. So, and they all said, yeah, probably you should, you know, do something, cancel your card. And I said, well, my card doesn't have that much money on it. But anyway, waited 40 minutes, 40 minutes at seven o'clock to get onto the bank. And then the lady transfers me another 20 minutes waiting there. But before she transferred me, she said, oh, okay, now I see what you want. You want your money back. And I said, well, actually, I hate to tell you, but most of it is yours because the credit card didn't have a lot of money on it. Well, she burst into fits of laughter. Oh, that's so funny. I thought, yeah, okay, just get, just solve my problem. <laughs> um, anyway, I didn't realise I was such a comedian. Maybe life is boring in there at the Combank. But um, then I finally got onto somebody and, of course, they've cancelled the card and I have to wait another five to ten days or whatever it is for a new card to arrive. In the meantime, and this is where I'm grumpy as well, is the long phone call, all of my direct debits are seizing up. Now, this is the second time in a couple of months that I've had to replace a credit card. 
Yeah, and then you have to put in the new alternative card. Oh, it's a nightmare. Yep. Yep. But everything's all like I have an afterpay afterpay situation with some clothing I bought. You know, they're yelling at me, and now the streaming service is yelling at me. And I just think, God, there's got to be an easier way. Anyway, that's my grumpy um, credit card related. At least it wasn't related to a vehicle. Six quick questions now, Caro, for Red Energy. Corrie, which political leader do you suspect might be undergoing a quiet makeover? Peter Dutton. The Harry Potter glasses. Yep. The quieter voice. Softer, kinder. Softer, kinder. Keeping it open about the voice to parliament, keeping an open mind. And when it comes to the US-UK-Australia military alliance, all on board with AUKUS, bipartisan. He's saying that word a lot. He's obviously got the memo about um, his, his well, how people thought last May when he was elected leader of the party after the election. He's obviously got the memo on that, on all of that. Yeah, very thoughtful interview, I thought, in Adelaide last week. Um, interesting. He's interesting. Just watch Peter Dutton. Um, Caro, what's the biggest cultural shift you've noticed as the football season kicks off? I definitely think the worm's turning on gambling advertising. Agree. And, spo- and sports betting. And um, Gillan McLaughlin, as he goes out of the job, is starting to make noises that it needs to be at least curtailed or modified. Um, I think that the clubs, are, the most clubs now have completely got the message. I sat at the MCG on Thursday night watching Bet365 go around the boundary line, which was really annoying, you know, as the scores were really tied up in the last quarter. Uh, the AFL has to do more on its website, but I actually think the AFL Commission, and look, media organisations have to come on board with this too, but I think the worm's turning. Corrie, who was your new Instagram crush? Milligram 96, M-I-L-L-I-G-R-A-M 96, actor Millie Ford. She's a 25-year-old Australian, um, Caro, and she's built a reputation now as an actor for her viral TikTok videos. Um, She currently has 1.4 million followers on TikTok. She has 249,000 on Instagram. She is hilarious. Um, She basically is acting on these TikToks and it is white bread, middle-class Australian humour. I am, I'm just saying that that's what it is. But the titles, she, what she does is she takes everyday dilemmas and stereotypes of the life that we all know and puts them in hilarious ways. For example, the friend who is helpless with plants, um, which I mean, I'm not going to go into it, but have a look at it. And the passive aggressive manager helping the new person behind the counter in the retail sector. Um, and girls working out how to organically restart a conversation with a guy. Have a look, Caro. It, it, you can waste a lot of time watching Millie, but I think she's a talent to watch. Jane, can you just give us a tiny snippet? Um, no, they're good. They're looking the plants. good. The vines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, in, they're in a good spot. Indirect sunlight. Oh, I thought you said indirect sunlight. <laughs> right. You know what? I think that they'll be okay. Are the leaves supposed to be crunchy? There's a bit of a snap to them. <laughs> yeah, the ones you gave me a water. <laughs> Anyway, oh, it's, when, very funny. it's quite funny when a friend looks after your plants and she has no idea what she's doing. But um, have, have a little look at that. I think she is uh, an actor to watch. Caro, would you pay to see Rod Stewart? No. <laughs> Sorry to laugh. I know a lot of people is who missed eight? out the other night. I mean, nothing against 80-year-old musicians or Hey, 70- come on. Hands off Paul McCartney and... Oh, I probably wouldn't go and see Paul Mick, McCartney Mick now either. Oh, Stones I might still go to. Look, um... Very disappointing for those people who brought tickets to the regional concert with Cindy Lauper and Rod Stewart. I understand he had voice issues and he was sick, but really and truly, I, I don't think I'd go and see the old Rod anymore. Give me an old video of the faces. If you think I'm sick. Well, I certainly wouldn't pay to see that song or Sailing, one of the worst hit songs ever written. Corey, which news story do you think is going to occupy way too much time? Will Over the next few weeks. Will Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and their two children appear on the balcony after the coronation? Oh. I'll, I'll be talking about it. <laughs> okay, I'll leave it there. And what's this week's amazing fact, Caroline Wilson? Oh, well, look, this is something that you obviously, I imagine, would know all about. I have only deep-dived into the history of it after going to the opening night of the Australian Ballet last week to see the Rudolf Nureyev of Don Quixote, an absolute you know, my views on the Australian Ballet. It is just one of the greatest artistic organisations in the world. You're a big fan of David number two, aren't you? David Halberg introduced it. This is a a complete recreation 
of the ballet that Rudolf Nureyev choreographed, which was made into a film in 1973. Now, in 1973, Rudolf Nureyev got together with Sir Robert Heltman, co-artistic director then of the Australian Ballet with Dame, Dame Peggy Van Prague. They couldn't find a film set suitable. So they made it in a hangar in Essendon Airport. I didn't know about this. It was 1973. It was made over, took about 25 to 28 days. And oh, and the beautiful Lucette Aldos played Katrina. Kat- Katrina, that's it. Katri, yeah. And um, she was such a beautiful dancer, sort of disappeared really way too early. <laughs> but um, Nureyev obviously danced the main romantic league, so Robert Heltman was in it too. It was 40 degrees for most of those days. The fruit and veg, which accompanied the um, and meat, etc., that were part of the market scenes, all came from the Vic Market. The smell, according to David Halberg, was extraordinary, extraordinarily disgusting. This ballet um, recreated the sets in its entirety. It opens like a film when you go and see it at the State Theatre. Extraordinary, but um, and it, it is just the most beautiful. And the the two main dancers, who I'll mention in a moment, but. Um, Going back to this film, I found an old New York Times review of the film that was released in 1973. And this came from the New York Times arts correspondent in Sydney. Rudolf Nureyev's film of Don Quixote with the Australian ballet breaks new ground in both the cinema and the dance. The production, its filming recently completed, is expected to bring lustre to the Australian image in the lively arts. They talk about... Thanks for that. I know. Talk about cultural cringe. They interview Nureyev. They interview Sir Robert Helpman. They couldn't find a movie studio, so the set designers constructed the Spanish town in Melbourne. The Essendon Airport had by then been abandoned largely for the being rebuilt, the being built Tullamarine. Military and private planes still use Essendon Field, but the aircraft noise was no problem, writes the New York Times. The score had already been recorded by the Elizabethan Trust Orchestra of Melbourne, conducted by John Lanch, Lanchbury, and the dancers actually performed to playbacks of this music. And um, the people involved, Corrie, um, the British head cameraman who made Cabaret, 2001 A Space Odyssey, the entire film was made on a budget of $600,000. It can still be seen. You can still watch it on the a- if you YouTube it via the ABC. And I look, this, this production that they've remade in 2023, Basilio, um, the, of course, the barber, the um, romantic lead... Um, is played by Chengwu Guo, G-U-O. He is brilliant. He is one of the greatest dancers I have ever seen. Oh, my goodness. I mean it. And That's it, huge. It was like being at a rock concert at the end. People were standing up and whooping and hooping and the standing ovation. And, and Kitri is played by Akko Kondo. She is wonderful as well. But that story of this airport hangar in Essendon Airport playing host to one of the greatest ballets of all time in 40-degree heat. It's just extraordinary, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it is amazing. Look, I, yes, I have many memories of that as a young child because um, the Age newspaper was deeply involved and my dad somehow um, was given free tickets to go on set. Or I can't remember what how it unfolded. But, Caro, just um, on Rudolf Nureyev, who is remains one of the most charismatic people I've ever seen, up close and personal, if we ever had a segment, you know, the the interview or the moment when you regret or you could kick yourself that you didn't actually have more courage and go and say, say hello to somebody famous was um, his last visit to Australia before we, he so we died. Were sitting in the, we were sitting in the um, State Theatre. We were in the and State Theatre. That's the right. right I, took you as, I took you as my guest. And a child went and asked for his autograph and, and he wouldn't and I give said, it to her, know, which was a bit mean. But you and I said, oh, my God, have we got the courage? Remember, remember? the boots he was yes, wearing? Yes, long boots. And he obviously had AIDS at that time. He didn't look terribly well, but he loved Australia. He loved the Australian Ballet Company. Well, Maina Gilgood, I think, had brought him out on that That's occasion. That's right, yeah. But I wish we'd had the courage to go up and just, you know, Well, he, he didn't say. get that poor child an autograph. <laughs> I do remember that. I remember you taking me to that. And I remember seeing him once dance in London um, in the mid-'80s when I was living in London. But by then he was, you know, past his best. Oh, look, the, the Australian Ballet schedule this year, it's worth – it is honestly worth – forking out the money because it's but so good. first fork out your money and come to the Sorrento Writers Festival, yes. please. That's yes. where your cultural dollars should go for the next month, everybody. That's right, Corrie. Thank you, everybody, for letting me indulge in my new project and discuss it, um, and I'll get back to my 144 player profiles now. Uh, it's been a lovely discussion today. Writer profiles, Corrie. <laughs>
It's not a footy record. <laughs> um, Miss Jane, thank you as always for wonderful production and of course Miles who joined us earlier. Caro, thanks for your company. Thanks Red Energy. Thanks Prince Wine Store. And what do we say? Don't shoot the messenger. Thanks for listening to this episode of Don't Shoot the Messenger. And if you'd like to support the podcast, tell a friend about the show. Perhaps they haven't discovered it yet. You can send us an email to feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook using the handle at don'tshootpod and sign up for our weekly email. We'll send you the show notes straight to your inbox. And of course, thanks to our show sponsors, Red Energy and Prince Wine Store.